I think the first thing is just recognizing that people with disabilities are people first. That's why I tend to use terminology like people with disabilities, right? It, because it is so easy for us to focus on the impairment and miss the person. Stephanie Hubach has been called by God and equipped by her experience and by her joyful disposition to disability ministries. It's come to her through providence, through knowledge. She's a research fellow in disability ministries with Covenant Theological Seminary and a joyful advocate of loving and kind and just treatment of people with disabilities. I'm delighted to have her on our show today. From the Center for Faith and Work here in St. Louis, this is Working with me, your host, Dan Doriani. Here we strive to fire the imagination of Christians who long to practice their faith in the workplace. Through conversations with doctors, athletes, teachers, executives, and more, we seek to engage those who desire to do significant work, to practice love and justice in their work, and who dare to change their corner of the world through that work. Well, my guest today is Steph Hubach, who is one of the people I like because she's always smiling and always laughing. And it's interesting to me because, Steph, your field is disability ministries. Your official title is Research Fellow in Disability Ministries for, in, in association with Covenant Theological Seminary. You're also an author, like a lot of people we have on this podcast. You wrote a book called Same... Sorry, I'm going to get it wrong. Um, same lake, different boat, right. and that was about 15 years ago, something and then like a, that. And a reboot last year for the second edition. Oh, and there's a second edition. 2020, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then there's this book, which I'm holding up, which just came out pretty recently called Parenting and Disabilities, Abiding in God's Presence. And that's, that's a book in PNR's series on sort of devotional guides to some of the hard issues in life. Yes. And it includes, you know, singleness is one that I've read and endorsed for the series, and then you wrote. And I have to tell you, I've read both of your books and liked them both a lot, which made me predisposed to like you. And then, in addition to that, you're likable. So that's always fun. <laughs> Steph, it's nice, to, it's nice to have you on our show. Um, tell, me, tell us just first, how did you get into disability ministries? This is both an intellectual and a personal matter for you, right? Sure, sure. You know... Um, my educational background is originally in economics, right? And so I always tell yes. people, if God can use me in disability ministry, anybody can be involved, right? I worked for a defense contractor in D.C. for a number of years before uh, our uh, youngest son, Tim, was born with Down syndrome. And that was, I guess, my biggest entree. Prior to that, our, our best friends from church had not one, but two children that were born with disabilities, Um but I still, uh, even after that, I still never really anticipated that that would be a pathway for our lives, right? And so uh, God in his providence really dramatically redirected my life through through Tim's birth. And um, mm. it's been an amazing ride. So Yeah. Hey, we've used the word disabilities twice. Is that the best term for, for the issue we're discussing? I know there are always options and, and people have their preferences. You right. use the word disability. Why do you use it, and why is it useful compared to some other terms? I won't say better, but at least useful. Most groups that have experienced some kind of uh, social oppression, right, that that almost always there's some negativity associated then with the language used to describe that group. And so you, you find often with people groups that have that have lived on the margins of life, right, 
the naming continues to change, right? Because there's right. always a negative association historically with the prior name. So uh, right now though, I think disability is, is really the best uh, word that seems most people seem comfortable with. Uh, if you don't mind, I'd just like to segue for a second into yep. just describing disability because um, perfect. I think it really, uh, in it's best understood if it, we realize it has two dimensions, right? There's the, there's the, the functional dimension, which is the way in which the body works differently than we expect it to, right? Mm -hmm. So whether that difference is uh, physical or intellectual, psychological, right? Neurological, uh, think body systems, right? And there's that functional piece, but it's not limited to just the functional piece. There's also the social dimension, right? right? Which yeah. is the ways in which uh, we treat people that often disable uh, much further than the actual impairment, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a functional impairment, but then there's the social dimension. And so there's the two things married together. They really, they really uh, create this, this thing right, that we call mm -hmm. a disability then. So. Yeah, so if I can just jump in and ask you to comment, um, in somewhere in the second book, the Parenting and Disabilities book, you point out that you wish, that people wish uh, a child with a sensory disorder mm -hmm. wishes that when their child has a meltdown in the grocery store, mm -hmm. that the parents don't think this kid's just a spoiled brat and these are horrible parents. That this is this is a disability. This child right. is having sensory overload, perhaps, and this is what happens to a two-year-old or a five-year-old or an eight-year-old when that occurs. Can you just walk us through that and, and connect it to your comment about social isolation, which is a theme of yours, and I think a very important one. I, that's that's a great example of, of the social dimension of disability when a child in Walmart who has autism, right, get, gets mm -hmm. just sens sensory overload from the lights and the sounds and the, you know, the stimuli. And, uh, and then the parent and the child receive a social judgment from passersby, right, that, and it's, it doesn't have to be audible to be notable. Oh, you, right. people just yeah. walk around the child yeah. and, and they yeah. give a dirty a look. Maybe they even try not to make it a dirty look, but it's it's yeah. social opprobrium and disapproval. Yeah. yeah, Right, exactly. So it's a form of shame usually, right, yeah. that gets dispersed. And so um, so I think it's just, uh, those are, it's, it's really important that we recognize that that is a very real part of the experience of disability because you can't walk that pathway with, with someone without recognizing it. Mm -hmm. And we can't bring the gospel to bear without recognizing it um, either. You know, one, if I can segue into John 9 for a minute, right? Yeah. The story where Jesus uh, and his disciples encounter the man born blind. And the first thing that the disciples uh, uh do as they encounter this fellow is to look at Jesus. They don't look at the fellow, right? So right away, socially, they're not engaging him. They turn and engage Christ and they say, so who sinned? His, his, this man or his parents, right? The assumption right. is he's done something wrong. Like, which one was it? We know someone did something wrong. And I love how Jesus just turns that on its head. Uh, it says, no, neither. This, this happened that the work of God might be displayed in his life. So Jesus goes on to deal with the functional impairment later, but he actually deals with the social dimension of disability first, right? Yeah. Before he even moves on to deal with the functional in that particular story. So. And if I could just even pick up on John 9, since I'm a New Testament prof, you know, part mm -hmm. of the time at least, 
it's uh, he's he is a sharp, fearless, intelligent, humorous yeah. guy. Yes. And it you know, he does not deserve to be isolated because he's blind. He's a fascinating person. And and yet we um you know, we we tend to think that if somebody can't hear or can't see or can't move fast, they're not interesting. Right. They they they're not a good they might not of course, if you asked us, we would say, no, no, I don't believe that. But we sort of function as if this person's impaired, therefore, they may not have all that much to say to us. It might not be a lively conversation. Yeah, we, we carry a lot of constructs, right, in the way that we perceive other people, that, especially when it comes to disability, that uh, that we don't even realize we carry sometimes, right. right? So what you just described is what I would call a superior, inferior construct, mm -hmm. right? right. Uh, this idea this idea that less than, right? That that the person simply has an impairment, but somehow that impairment then makes them globally less than. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Right. <clears throat> yeah. And we don't, we would never say that to ourselves. Right. And we would never say it out loud, but we just, we, but we do we, it. We head in that direction, whether we want right. to or not, unless some, yeah. unless somehow we're corrected, somebody tells us, or we realize yeah. the error of our ways. Let me just uh, stick with John chapter nine for a minute. You you know I wanted to talk about that chapter in the book, um, which you call "Disability is not a punishment," mm -hmm. which I think is an extraordinarily important point. Yeah. If I can just comment, you know, people when they see a problem, they have two. The first goal is to fix the problem. And the second goal is to fix the blame if you can't fix the problem. Whose, whose fault is this? And it's extraordinarily important to, on the one hand to say, look, sometimes people are impaired because they did sin. I mean, you know, somebody may have broken their leg because they were driving drunk mm -hmm. and they permanently have a limp. And that is possible, at least, but we certainly shouldn't assume, and it's certainly not true all the time. Why do you uh, like to tell people disability is not a punishment. That's a great sentence, and it's a chapter title. Why do you hit that hard? Um, I think it's really important, just what you had said, that people, and, and you see the same thing with poverty as well, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> that people will start with the assumption of, of blame, right? Again, it will start with the assumption of blame or fault, um, and that should never be the starting point. It may be the rare exception, right? as you said, but it's, but we have it backwards, right? And, and I think it's so important. This still happens in, in churches and in Christian circles where the, the implication in conversation can be, well, what did you do that God had to do this to get your attention, right? Oh I've heard, I've heard yes. those kind of comments. I've heard them personally. I have friends who have heard them. And, um, and what's the, the beautiful part of John 9 is just how, how Christ really actually takes us back, really back to Genesis, back to image bearing, right? And he says, this, you know, this man is created to, to, to glorify God, right? He's here, he's an image bearer, like, just like the disciples are. And, and uh, that his whole purpose in life is to reflect God's character into the world in the way that he's made, right? And whatever he does. Uh, and, and so I think it's really important for parents to to be able to solidly look at their child as as their disability being um, being something that is is has good purpose in God's economy, right? Uh, in good the life good purpose, yeah, and that doesn't mean punishment. Exactly, which and doesn't it doesn't mean, mean oh, you're such a dunderhead. The only way I can get your attention is putting you through this uh, ordeal, or or at least potentially an ordeal. What seems right. like an ordeal at first, right? 
Right. And, and if you listen to like just the, as you also pointed out about the main board blind, he has amazing gifts. Oh right? my and goodness. That's the thing we focus on the disability as if it defines the person. Right. And, and, and if you assign blame, right. Or judgment to that or punishment, that makes it just infinitely worse. Right. And, and wrong. And so, uh, but when we, when we, uh, see that that person, often a person that has a disability develops really strong strengths in other areas that are mm-hmm. compensatory, right? To the disability. Right. So the man born blind has this incredible skill of listening, right? <laughs> because he's taking this all in and he has these witty responses. He right? is a witty guy. <laughs> and oh, brain. he says at one point, oh, do you want to be his disciples too? Yeah. <laughs> it's, if you read the whole story. Um, and, and somehow he's acquired a boldness because, I mean, there's actually a counterpoint. For, for one thing, we should say, even as you're talking, it's occurring to me, Jesus spent a lot of his time with people with disabilities, right? Yes. People who are blind, he cured the blind. People who are lame, uh, mm-hmm. in this case, a person who's blind. And, you know, they didn't all respond well. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of them did. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in John chapter 5, the man who was crippled for 38 years, you know, basically kind of rats Jesus out to the authorities and say, well, you know, like, I'm carrying my mat because I can walk now, and it's his fault, not mine. He told me to carry my mat. Right. right. And either he's foolish or he's, um, you know, corrupt. It's hard to say yeah. which one it is. Your book talks about tattletales. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I guess you were a tattletale. That was me, at yeah. one point. Well, at least the, the book says you were, um, or you say you were in the book. Uh, and he's kind of like a tattletale. And then we get as the counterpoint this. So this is the way you handle it. This is the way. You respond in adversity. This is the way you respond to a disability and Jesus healing you. He, I mean, he's a hero of the Book of John. I had just read a book. It's actually coming out, so I don't. I don't want to uh, steal this guy's thunder. Okay. Well, but, but say it in a boring way. I'm going to say <laughs> in a boring way. There's an amazing connection between when Jesus talks about being the good shepherd. Yes. In John 10. Okay. Yes. And yes. How, that's right. And it's treated in John nine, and yeah. I'm going to leave that to my friend who has this book coming out, who I just reviewed for him. Who's that's fabulous. So, uh, but well, as a John right. nine, you know, as a New Testament guy, I'm sure you already catch some of the implications. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to say it without knowing what book you're referring to, but yeah. Jesus shepherds the man in chapter nine, makes yeah. him one of his sheep, and then says to everybody, "I'm your good shepherd." Well, let's use that as a segue. Sure. How can we shepherd? Mm. Speak to me, pretend I'm a, a young, naive, I don't know, 24-year-old, and I, I just stumbled into your talk, and I want to be a good neighbor to people who are uh, experiencing personally or caring for somebody in their community, a friend, a family member who has a disability, uh, and I want to be a good neighbor. I want to even maybe shepherd them. Yeah. What would you say to a young, naive 25-year-old, 35-year-old who doesn't know beans about this? Sure. I think the first thing is just recognizing that people with disabilities are people first, right? That's why I tend to use terminology like people with disabilities, right? It, because um, it is so easy for us to focus on the impairment and miss the person. And and what I think God clearly teaches us, he wants us to do with all people in the scriptures to po- focus on the person who is an image bearer of the living God, right? So. So starting there and then recognizing that all people who live in a world affected by the fall, right, need to relate to each other in both um, on the basis of, of the image of God as being the basis of our value, but also on the basis of grace and in, in dealing with our brokenness, right? So that every one of us is a, 
a mix of the blessedness of creation and in the image bearing capacity we've been given, right? And, and at the same time, the brokenness of the fall and how that affects us. And so, so you can't relate to any human being in only one area or the other, where you don't get very far, right? <laughs> but that's, that's a great point. focus on the Antoriani is the image bearer who has no, no need for grace. We're going to bang up, <laughs> you know, pretty soon into a need for that or vice versa, right? If I only look at where you have, have needs or, or brokenness or difficulty, and I don't look at you as an image bearer, that's going to distort our relationship. So I think holding those things in tension is really important just to have a healthy relationship with any human being and particularly uh, with people who have more noticeable uh, uh, noticeable expressions of brokenness that are common to the human experience, right? That's a great, more notable expressions of brokenness. So uh, for example, I, I often tell my students, if somebody's angry at you for no apparent reason, it's good to ask a question like, maybe they slept horribly last night? Yeah. Maybe their mother, brother, sister, father just got cancer. I mean, give them a break. Everybody, everybody you meet has some serious form of brokenness if they're above the age of 25 anyway. Right. So there's maybe a, I don't want to minimize uh, people who are, let's say, blind or can't walk and mm-hmm. make it the same as uh, a tendency to anxiety. But we're all right. disabled. We all have some disability to some extent. Right. It's a more noticeable difference, right? right. <laughs> so that's yeah. that. That really is just it's difference of degree, right? right? But that difference of degree can be very substantial. So that so, like you said, right? You don't want to minimize it as if it doesn't impact their life because it does. But you also don't right. want to maximize it, right. right? Either in a way that it overshadows their life as well, yeah. right? Or your perception of that person, right? Yeah, so along that line, you have this uh, wonderful little chapter called Your Child is Indispensable. Mm. And you tell about your son, mm-hmm. who is a totally awesome <laughs> greeter and cart distributor, and he's going to rock He's going to rock the customers by welcoming them. And <laughs> I, I think it's a fantastic picture of disability and ability. I mean, he, yeah. he has an ability... There is yeah. there's something a stereotype. I want you to comment on it that people with Down syndrome tend to be more cheerful yeah. um, and more positive. That seems to be true to me, but I'm happy for you to correct me. But your son certainly, based on the chapter, seems to be right. one of those people that loves to welcome and and uh, and love people. He does. He does. And you know, my dad always says all generalizations are dangerous, including this one. Right. right, right. <laughs> But yes, it, it, as a generalization, many people at Down syndrome have very, very pleasant dispositions, you know, and, and it's a gift, right? It's one of the gifts that many people at Down syndrome bring to the communities uh, where they live. It's a sense of joy, a, a willingness to be honestly happy with very simple things, you know, it's very refreshing. <laughs> Yeah, and you quote uh, you quote scripture in each chapter, but I'm, I I want to read the scripture each and every time. But this one I think is especially important. First uh, Corinthians 12, 22, 24, and twenty five. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Mm-hmm. God has so composed the body, meaning the body of Christ, the Christian community, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. Yeah that there may be no division of the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Mm. Can you just spin that out a little bit more? Sure. It, your son is indispensable to Walmart because he's so cheerful. 
-hmm. but everybody's indispensable. Exactly. Right? You didn't say you didn't say my child is indispensable. Right. That's not the title of the chapter. Right. The title is your child is indispensable. And and God gives greater honor to the parts of the body that lack it. Can you tell us why you say that and how we can live that out? Sure. That layer that layers on a couple of things, right? In the sense that often people with disabilities live on the congregate, I mean, excuse me, on the fringe of congregational life, mm -hmm. right? Right. Um, and in part, they live on the con fringe of congregational life. And we can talk about this later because of the ways that we perceive people with disabilities, right? So um, sometimes their functional impairment makes it makes it more difficult for their participation without some excessive, you know, access being made. That would be mobility issues, for example. Exactly. And also learning for people with intellectual disabilities, right? Adapted right. materials, things like that. Right. Um, but, um, but anyway, back to, to that point being because of our distorted views of people and how we treat them, they often end up at the fringes of congregational life, uh, when in reality, what the scripture is telling us is they actually are utterly indispensable. They're, they're, they're uh, so important to what it is that we do that we can't, uh, cannot not have them there, right? <laughs> and so, and I think one of the things that people with disabilities uh, bring is that is the impairment itself brings with it a certain amount of vulnerability, right? Um, and Andy Crouch in his book, Strong and Weak, talks about how flourishing actually takes place at the intersection of capacity for meaningful action and exposure to meaningful risk. So he would, in the ex example of disability, Andy would then say, well, so a person with a disability has these vulnerabilities and it and it requires our capacity for meaningful action to engage with them in order to go together to a place called flourishing, right? So I have to give up some of my time to help create access for this person who actually has gifts I cannot live without when we get, and, and we together actually end up in a place of flourishing when we, when we navigate that together. Does that make sense? It makes sense. And you're making me think of, um, of a retreat I did, a, a church retreat I did once that was probably the happiest group of people that I've ever done a conference for. Maybe one other was equal. And this, this is a, a mid-sized church or small-ish church, not real small, but, you know, there are 225 people, let's say. And somehow this church had fallen into a sort of corporate habit or mindset or custom or something of adopting interracial or interethnic deaf children. Mm-hmm. And so they had a deaf ministry and they had, you know, multiple people involved who were gung-ho about it. And it was, I don't know, it was, uh, they, the, these, these children, and some of them seemed to have multiple disabilities, which is another issue, um, were cheerful and, and beloved. And, and there was, um, I don't know if it was causative, but this church was so radiant because they had people who maybe were adopted later in life, they were multi-ethnic and disabled, and they loved them. And I mean, the, for me, the funniest thing was they had, multi, I would wear out the, the, sign, the people who gave the sign language. And so every 15 minutes would be a new person giving their signs. And yeah. one would be very, you know, sort of controlled and, and uh, non-expressive. And the next one, I'd tell a story and I'd go like this, and they go like this. And yeah. I'd stick out my leg and they stick out, and it just made everybody laugh. Yeah. And everybody felt welcome, and I I thought it 
profoundly enriched the whole church. Yeah. So you had that inner, again, what you have is right this in this diversity of experience, there was more diverse, right? In that group of right. people that you would typically have at a retreat that you spoke at, right? So, mm-hmm. so that in that diversity, you have each person is bringing their own sense of capacity for meaningful action, right? And that ways in which they're vulnerable and, and they're moving towards each other together to find this, this place of shared flourishing. And it's, it is beautiful when you see it in action. It's absolutely beautiful. And, and I think one of the important things about being indispensable in the body of Christ is to recognize that sometimes our, our friends with intellectual disabilities in particular, uh, we have a tendency to miss their giftedness, right? That they have gifts, just like you and I have gifts, but they're packaged differently, right? So if we're not, if we're not listening or we're not looking, right, we're not paying attention, we're going to miss or, or worse, we're going to dismiss, right, the gift that they actually bring to the body. That, that's, I love that. Uh, we're not just going to miss, we're going to dismiss. That's a very good, I'm going to take that as a good warning to all of us not to be unobservant and also not to observe in a way that is negative or right. pushing pushing people aside. You know, it actually uh, reminds me of children who are so delightful, you know, a three-year-old or a five-year-old who makes this brilliant remark. And you think, <laughs> where on earth did that come from? Yeah. And then, but there's there are adults who are, let's say, 25 years old who have a mental challenge of some kind, and they can also make brilliant remarks and be Absolutely. extraordinarily astute about maybe the dynamics or the emotions in a situation. And if we can delight in conversation with a child, mm-hmm. surely we can delight in a conversation with an adult who's got different mental uh, capabilities. Yeah, and usually that that person is not all that threatened by us. We're the ones who are often yeah. are out of our own fear of not looking competent, right? Or mm. Feeling like we're the ones that have all the capacities, right? We don't like experiencing the vulnerability that we experience, right? When we are interacting with somebody who's just wired differently than we are. Uh, can I tell you a quick story about? Yeah, that sure. Church? There was a guy at our church who uh, was there for a number of years who had Down syndrome. Was probably in his thirties or forties at this point, um, and he would uh, he, he sort of had these standard phrases, right? He would walk up to people and go, "Do you love Jesus?" And then he would go, Jesus is coming again, right? And that was his, mm. that's what he would greet everybody with. Well, he went into the uh, session meeting one night at church, right? <laughs> just walked into the session meeting and they were in the middle of a really deep conversation. They all stopped and Keith looked at each one, went around the room. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Right. And then he looked at all of them and he wagged his finger and he said, Jesus is coming again. And he walked out of the room and they said, you could have dropped a pin, right? Yeah. Because they said the most important thing we could have talked about was just talked about. Yeah, yeah, right. That's good. And it probably, if they were off, they were probably recentered. Yes. By the, you know, if they were in some strife or anxiety, that yeah. that got them back to the main point. Yeah. Um, let me let me. Sh- uh, I have so many things I want to talk to you about, but let me uh, say this. Even as you talk, I f- you're very gentle. You don't know it, but you're you know you're kind of correcting me. You're not trying to correct me, but you are. I'm thinking, ooh, that's I didn't see that. Uh, and I'm I'm also thinking of a time many years ago when I was um, impatient with mm-hmm. someone who had a mobility issue, mm-hmm. and I felt bad about it for, for 35 years or more. <laughs> and what would you say to somebody who's listening to this podcast and they think, "Boy, I've I've dismissed people with disability, and I've run away, and I've given 
the stink eye to mm-hmm. children who are misbehaving, and it didn't even occur to me that maybe there's a sensory issue. Uh, do you have a word of grace for those of us, starting with me, who have failed? You know, my, my friend Paul Miller always, uh, as I understand, as I remember him, he, he says uh, uh, that the Christian walk is a walk of repentance and faith, repentance and faith, repentance and faith, right? We all make sinful and dismissive mistakes and sin, sin in that way all the time, right? Like in, if it's not a person with a disability, it might be a person of color. We, I, we constantly have places in our life where we need to develop awareness and repent. And that's the beauty of the gospel, right? Is that we can be honest about, wow, Lord, I have, have not done this well, right? Mm-hmm. And I didn't even know I wasn't doing this well. And, mm-hmm. and we ask forgiveness from God and we ask forgiveness from people that we, that we know that we've harmed, right? And then we and then we become learners right see how can i be more like christ in this way and so the last thing i really ever want to leave anybody with is a guilt trip on this i didn't know how to do any of this until tim was born yeah, right? no and, and I i'm not saying <laughs> you know it's one of those right. things like when right. you're speaking you're just speaking from your heart and your convictions and sure. then people think oh my goodness i fall short of that uh yeah, exactly. now now what yeah. um i've i've had misconceptions i've Look, I've, I've had this global disability concept in my mind, let's say some, and, and it shaped the way I think about things uh, and the way I act, and, and Lord, forgive me. Um, I would love, uh, there's so many things I want to talk about, but I want, definitely want you to talk about the, your fundamental paradigm uh, regarding disability, mm-hmm. which is, I'll just let you say it, you have a, a triptych, I'm going to call it a triptych. And the conclusion, if I can give it away, I'm going to say it, tw- you, I'll say it and you say it because it's so important, is that disability is a normal part of an abnormal world. Right. But that's not the only thing you say. You also give a couple other views of the right. matter. What are they and why do you phrase things the way you do? Sure. This is part of the process I went through in at the beginning of my journey, right, of raising Tim was just trying to get my head around, well, how do I think about disability biblically, right? I mean, I felt like I'd been raised with a strong understanding of both the image of God and every person and the pro- and the goodness and providence of God in my life. And those things were huge handholds for me, right? When Tim was little, but I felt like I was hearing a cacophony of voices, right? Coming from all around me from different circles that seemed to all look at disability a little bit differently. So I started to just try to sort out my mind in my mind, you know, how, where are these coming from and how, and why are they there? Right. So, so it, it eventually it sifted down to kind of three categories. Um, the first one being uh, what I, and same like different boat called the modernist view. It, and sometimes also people will call the medical view of disability, right. Which is that disability is an abnormal part of life in an otherwise normal world. Right, so it so it really stems more from uh, enlightenment thinking, right? That mm-hmm. and and also Darwinism, right? So this idea that all that there is in the world is what we can see—that mm-hmm. would be the Darwinian, <laughs> you know, element—and what we can see can be fixed, right? That's right. more the. Um, um, so no concept of the fall. 
there's just it right. is, there is what is and and we can apply technology or learning yeah and it's very man-centered right person-centered right. so it's so it's all about the science and reason can get us to whatever it is we need to do to fix anything that's wrong in this life right and so disabilities looked at it as something abnormal uh as an aberration right and then and then people with disabilities in that view are looked at people to be fixed right either fixed through endless therapy right mm -hmm. <laughs> or uh, eliminated through things like abortion or institutionalization right during much of the 20th century or uh or perfected right so it's fixed eliminate perfected and so of course people with disabilities resented <laughs> and still do resent when that perspective is applied to them, that they that somehow everybody else is whole, but this only this person with this condition is is broken, right? And so, um, and so we can call that a naive progressive view of history as well. Yes, which has been replaced by another not as not entirely helpful <laughs> perspective, right? So postmodernism, uh, uh, understandably, um, people with disabilities again, like I said. It, experienced endless abuses as a result of this perspective. And so a lot of postmodern advocacy has really pushed back. It's like, no, disability is just a, a difference. It's a difference, no different than hair color, right? And so you can feel the how it's almost like a seesaw where all the weight goes from one side before it's all in the functional impairment, right? And then all of a sudden, boom, the weight drops in the more postmodern perspective, it's all in the social elements. Right, that the difference it, itself is inconsequential. It's all about attitudes, and so in that in that view, disability is a normal part of life in a normal world, and and the problem with that, well, it's corrective in one sense, right? Corrective in one sense, and we can I think that's po positive. The problem is that it also diminishes any difficulty that's actually affiliated with the impairment, right? And it also truncates any grieving process that's involved for the person with a disability or their family, right? Well, so, and it also raises the question: Why would we? Why would we fix it if we could? I mean, you know, for example, yeah. blindness has some connection with people who have extremely bad vision. And if right. people have bad vision, we give them glasses or contacts or you know some some other therapy. We don't say, "Hey, it's just the way it is." I mean, right. sometimes we can remedy problems. Right. Right. Yeah. And so that's what becomes kind of interesting about that postmodern normal part of life in a normal worldview is that it uh, doesn't require anything from me. Right. Or you. I mean, I'm off the hook. And so are you. I mean, we really have no obligations uh, to people with disabilities other than uh, social affirmation. Right. I mean, so it, in its extreme form, that would be. That. Yeah. So, so what's view three and why is it so awesome? I think view three is the biblical view because the beauty of it is it takes, it holds both that functional impairment we talked about earlier, right? And the social dimension of disability and holds them in tension, right? With each other. And, and so that both things are addressed. Yes, there's difficulty in impairment, right? And yes, there's social uh, injustice, right? That takes place and oppression that can happen as, as a result of a disability. And the reason that that exists is, is because the world itself is not what we would expect it to be, right? And so then the, the, the whole concept is then, well, then disability is a normal, it's to be an expected part of life in a world that is not as we 
it was expected to be, right? So not, not as it was originally designed to be. It's a normal part of life in an abnormal world that's been affected by the fall of humanity, right? I think the key concept, just to clarify for our people, the word normal has two senses to it. One is it meets the norm, and yes. we're not saying it meets the norm. It, it, there is something wrong. It's normal in the sense of common. Uh, we expect it. We're not yes. shocked. We have, we have a way to deal with it because this is something that, that occurs pretty often. Yes. Yeah, about 25% of people in any given community will have some form of a disability. But, well, if you look under the hood long enough, you find something wrong with everybody is right. one way to say it. But then there's a continuum. But there's three more. Th- I don't have, we don't have a ton of time left. But so, Steph, a question that a listener might have is, I have somebody in my life, maybe a relative or a neighbor, who seems to have something of a disability. Maybe, you know, it's not severe, it's not extreme. Uh, Maybe there's a little bit of a sensory disorder, or maybe they just have a really awkward gait, and I I don't know what to make of that. They just don't walk well. What would you say to somebody who has someone in their life who is borderline disabled, if you will, if there's such a term? How could you counsel a person who says, you know, my son, daughter, neighbor, isn't quite the way we expect, but I don't know if I want to apply the word disabled. Do you have any word for that person? I don't think the categories matter that much, right? <laughs> in one sense, in, in the sense that if you think about it, all of us uh, all of us live on a spectrum, right? Of ability and disability. And sometimes I, because of my econ background, right? My economics background, I will descend into little charts. Right? Mm. This one I don't have in my book, but I'll use a horizontal chart. We'll have neurological, psychological, physical, yes. social, intellectual, right? And and have zero to hundred, right? Horizontally. And I'll say none of us lives at a hundred percent capacity. Any area of life because of, of uh, the, the fall of humanity, right? But at the same time, none of us lives at, at zero because of God's common grace, right? And so all of us live in these shades of gray in between, right? And so, so how do we move towards people that affirms their value, right? And is sensitive to whatever their needs might be, right? So basically you might have someone who lives next door to you and struggles with a limp when they go out to get their mail, you can simply say, would it be helpful if I picked your mail off for you, right? right? They might say yes, they might say no, but they might say I need the exercise, right? Yeah, so right. The respectful approach is simply to ask people mm. what they need and a respectful approach to anybody's noticeable struggle or nominally noticeable or not noticeable struggle, right? whichever it is. Yes. It's simply to recognize that every one of us lives with both the blessedness of creation as image bearers and the brokenness of the fall in all a myriad of ways that we uh, experience difficulty, right? Yeah. I've been near a, a woman from time to time in my uh, community who has uh, a son who just has difficulty with emotional regulation. And, and she just leans over to him and says, what can I do to help you? How can I help you be calm or relaxed? She doesn't always use that language, but uh, I, that I think coheres with what you're saying. So let me, uh, let me switch gears for a second. Uh, there's another chapter in your book, chapter 15, in which you say Jesus identifies with being misunderstood. Mm. He... You know, he said he's going to the cross, and the disciples go, no way, may God have mercy on you for having such crazy ideas in your head. Yeah. And so Jesus was misunderstood. Yeah. 
people who have disabilities and those who are near them are misunderstood. How can we understand them better, remove that burden? What would you say? I think by taking on the posture of humility of being a learner, right? Mm. And and I think often uh, we're afraid that if we ask, and here's the difference, it's the motive, right? I can ask questions of a person with a disability because I'm really curious, right, about something, but I'm not really caring in the motive for the question. I just have almost a sense of voyeurism, right? Yes. That I want to know, oh, how does a paraplegic do A, B, or C, right? That's not the same thing as asking someone I know who's a paraplegic, help me understand what it's like when, right? That Can you feel the shift between... Yes. I'm asking because I'm curious. Augustine calls it the vain desire for knowledge. Yes. yes, yes. As opposed to a loving desire for knowledge so I can use my knowledge to help you. Right. So I think when we when we really show a genuine interest in people, um, and this, again, the, I have a tendency to say it's all different, it's all the same, right? Because it's, these principles are true, but anyway, we show genuine interest in, in other people and genuinely wanting to know not only what their struggles are, right? and what their life is like, but also what do they love, right? I have a good friend who used to do disability ministry who passed away uh, about a year ago, Barb Newman, and, and, she, and she worked with kids with autism pretty extensively. And she used to say, when you meet a parent for the first time who has a child with a disability and are trying to figure out how to integrate them into church or whatever the scenario is, she said, ask them, what does is, what is John love? Right. Mm -hmm. What does he love to do? Don't ask about, right. don't ask what's wrong with him. Right. right. <laughs> ask him what, what does he love to do? Uh, so good. I think, I think positive, respectful and caring kind of questions, right. Uh, that show genuine, genuine interest um, uh, are just the, the way into any relationship, but particularly uh, to families and individuals touched by disability. That, that's great. So um, these are really helpful. I think a lot of people are going to listen to this podcast twice if, if they have, especially if they have a need for it. This is great. Um, we're going to go to rapid fire time. Okay. Can you name a book that changed your life? And if you don't like that question, what book do you love to put in other people's hands? Those are both the same question. Name a book that's just awesome. Tim Keller's uh, Ministries of Mercy, The Call of the Jericho Road. Mm, good. Tim Keller, uh, Ministries of Mercy. Probably the most foundational thing I read on really understanding how to enter into the world of someone who is struggling mm, in a way that you. is gospel-centered and respectful, right? Yeah, and he covers the poor to a large extent, but it, it covers other topics. Yeah. Exactly, and it was, that's where I learned to make some of the parallels, actually, right. in principle, uh, was was from that. And I think what I loved about Keller's book too, is just how it, it's framed in the context of the kingdom. Right. And so that was just really, really helpful. That's one of my favorites. Okay, cool. Outstanding. Uh, if you had two free hours, you, not general people, not parents with disabilities, if you had two free hours, what would you do? What do you do to, to, in quick, to um, enliven yourself physically or mentally or socially? I did go do what I really give myself permission to do. Okay. <laughs> I, think I would go take a pottery class. Oh, okay. That's all. I actually really enjoy artistic things and have not spent very much of my time in the last 30 years doing them. But whenever I do, I love them. So I would I do just, that. I just played the piano yesterday for the first time yeah. in 12 years. Oh, nice. So I'm just, uh, and I, I'm, I'm abysmal, but I, I had fun playing Silent Night with one hand. I suspect my pottery will be abysmal as well, but I but you give me hope. <laughs> okay, 
Well, if you heard me play, I don't know how much hope you would get. If you, if, uh, putting aside all practical considerations, what would you do for one year? If you could do anything for one year, what would you do? I would join my husband in his dream to do the Great Loop. <laughs> What's the Great Loop? The Great Loop is, is a journey by boat that goes up through the Hudson, up through the Great Lakes, down the Mississippi, around Florida, and back up. Okay. We both love boating. So okay. we would find the most fun boat ever, and we'd go do the Great Loop for a year. <laughs> okay. All right. And you need a big enough boat. So <laughs> I always feel claustrophobic. Right. So we still get along when it was over. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Here, you sleep on the deck tonight, honey. Uh, let's see. Last question I, I like to ask, uh, who, who should I interview next on this podcast? But that's another way of saying, tell me somebody you admire in their capacity to practice their faith at work. I mean, I'm interviewing you because you're putting your faith to work in disability ministries. Who, who else do you admire? I tell you, I have a friend, Lori Seeley, who's a friend of mine who is autistic, right? Mm. And uh, she's a PCA pastor's wife. He passed away from cancer two years ago. So she's autistic, has a son who's autistic, and she's an amazingly gifted musician mm. who has an incredible grasp of the gospel and, of, and, a, and a mind that is brilliant. So she is great fun to talk to. She loves Christ more than just about anybody I've ever met. And you would uh, have a very enjoyable hour with her, and so would, her, uh, so would your listeners. <laughs> That's great. Uh, Steph, hey, it's been great to talk to you. I'm thankful for your ministry. I'm thankful for what you do and the way you've uh, dedicated your uh, God-given intellect and your energy and your, um, I think, you know, you're, you're just a cheerful person. I think that actually helps in a ministry like this. So God made you a certain way and you chose to answer his call to help many of their people. I'm thankful for it. I think a lot of people are. Thanks for spending time with us. Thank you. It's been a privilege. I hope I get to continue to do this for a while. So. Uh, that's Thank Absolutely. You. I hope so for you, for all of us, for you and for all of us. Thanks. Working with Dan Doriani is a production of the Center for Faith and Work St. Louis. We seek to promote faithfulness in the workplace, in education, in discipleship, and in the stories of believers who've applied their faith at work. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and rate us on your preferred podcast platform. You can visit our website at faithandworkstl.org. There you can subscribe to our podcast, sign up for our newsletter, learn more about faith and work cohorts, leave us a message, and more. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at faithandworkstl and find the video version of the show on our YouTube channel. All these links are available in the podcast show notes and on our website. Thanks for listening.